Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, and nice too, weren't they, with Sugar Plum. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM. Thank you so much for joining me. Jazz Shapers, I hope you know by now, is the place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And I bring in their equivalents in the world of business, someone that we call a business shaper. I'm extremely pleased to say that my business shaper today, a quintessential British icon, is none other than Jeremy Hackett. And he is the founder and chairman of Hackett, the rather famous uh, clothing brand that has been gracing uh, the UK and international markets for over 30 years. You're going to be hearing lots from Jeremy very shortly. In addition to hearing from him, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. And then we've got some fantastic music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Mavis Staples, Stevie Wonder, and this from the one and only B.B. King. Better not look down the mantra of so many people who have built big businesses, I'm sure, from B.B. King. Uh, My business shaper this morning, as I said, is Jeremy Hackett, and he's the founder and chairman of Hackett, the business that began in 1983. One of those um, dates that uh, is indelibly marked probably on my guest here today, Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. How did this happen? How are we having this conversation all these decades later uh, with you? Did you think... Back in the day when you were a young man, a teenager, that you would have an empire at your, f- at your feet? Absolutely not a clue. Because, uh, in fact, when, when I was still at school, um, I got a particularly bad school report. And my father said to me, if you don't pull your socks up, you'll end up working in a shop. Fortunately, that's exactly what happened. Because I left school soon after that and went to work in a tailor's shop where, in fact, I already had a Saturday job. And the tailor very generously took me on. And so um, I've been in the clothing business ever since, 45 years. Now, some people morph towards businesses that are just about the money and they they see an opportunity and other people fall in love with the business that they end up running or the business they end up being involved in. In fact, they probably don't see it even as a business. It's just what they do. Where did your love of of the world of fashion and the world of materials emanate from? Well, I think I've always been interested in clothing, probably from a five-year-old when I first had my first suit made and even then I was probably quite precocious and said no this is the sort of cloth I want and those are the pockets I want and um, so I had this suit made but my father he was in the textile business so there was always cloth around the house and uh, my mother was a seamstress so there were paper patterns everywhere so I, I grew up in an environment of cloth and tailoring generally. 
And did it at that time, that five-year-old, because I, I have um, a number of children and none of them have shown quite that interest in material. It, were there other things? I mean, you, go, you seem to remember that moment very, very clearly. Mm. What drew you to the cloth and the material and the feel of it and the fact that you knew where you wanted your pockets age five? Because, I mean, I, you know, five-year-old, that's a pretty young age to know these things, Jeremy. Um, I, to, to be honest, I'm not really sure where it came from. Uh, I, I think it's just, I just like the feeling of cloth, to touch cloth. And in fact, even today, I won't buy anything unless I can touch it and feel it and try it on. So how people buy online, I, I struggle to, to come to terms with that. I have to touch it. And that day that you opened your first shop, can you recall the feeling you had 1983 with your, your partner, Ashley Lloyd Jennings? Was it trepidatious or was it, this is going to work? No, we just thought, well, this could be a bit of fun. We'd been buying second-hand clothes for quite a while and selling them on to a friend of ours in Paris. And we thought, well, why sell it to him? We may as well sell it ourselves and make a bit better margin on it. And so we opened this little shop. And the um, bank manager at the time lent us, very generously lent us £2,000 and said to us, it's a retailer's graveyard. Uh, so with those encouraging uh, moments, uh, we opened the shop. We, di- we didn't have a name for it. For six months, we, we, we traded, and everybody called the shop the shop with the funny little round window. And um, eventually, we, we decided, oh, well, let's call it Hackett. That was the beginning of the, of the brand, really. Stay with me to find out how this brand called Hackett on in the funny looking shop has developed into um, a global empire. Stay with me for more from Jeremy, my business shaper. Time for some more music right now. This is Son of a Preacher Man. I love this number and it's from Mavis Staples. That was Son of a Preacher Man with Mavis Staples. Jeremy Hackett's my business shaper today, and we were talking about the funny little shop that they opened in 1983. They didn't even have a name. That's so right. much for the power of brand. I mean, they, and then and then it seemed like, well, why don't we just call it Hackett? Why did you decide that? I mean, it's a, it's obviously the family well, name for you, but it's an intro. I mean, it sounds great now, but it has 30 years of heritage. Why then? Well. Before we opened Hackett, I'd had a business with Ashley, and it was a shoe business in Covent Garden, before anybody else was in Covent Garden, which was the problem, and uh, we'd called the shop Lloyd Jennings, so um, we thought, well, maybe it's time to have my name up in lights. It was just the equitable transfer, that's all it was, it was, okay. Um, And at that time, when did you, people have said of you that you just have an eye, I mean, your own business now, your chair, and obviously the business is in different hands and has been for a while, but you just have an eye, where is that? I come from, Jeremy? Um, well, I have a problem with the other one. <laughs> I set myself up for that. <laughs> um, that sense of taste, though, because I've spoken to different people in different creative industries, and John Hegarty many many years ago on this programme said, you can't teach people taste. Is that true? Uh, I, well, I think people have to be receptive to it. I think you can teach a certain amount, but people have to be want to, want to engage with it, really. And if, if there's no interest, then... You know, you're banging your head against a brick wall, but I, I, I don't know where it came from. But your own sensibility, and now people say, oh, look, the Hackett's an iconic British brand. It is yeah. quintessentially British. 
I don't imagine that you woke up or have ever, because you, you don't strike me as that kind of person, said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a British fashion brand. You thought, I'm going to create a fashion brand that I like. Well, you, you know, when, when I started selling secondhand clothes, which sold incredibly well, and the problem was it was selling so well that I couldn't get enough of it. And then in the end, I thought, well, I, I'll start making new clothes based on the old clothes. And all the old clothes had been things that came from either Savile Row or tailors around the country. And it was hunting clothes and shooting clothes and formal dress. So everything I bought really was clothes for a particular function and, and of course, British. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just emulate this in new clothes. And um, that's really how, how it became really a proper brand. And between 1983 and 1992, and 92, I believe, that's when the Richemont business came and swooped yeah. in and said, you know what, here's, some, here's, a, here's a you can't refuse offer. Um, how did that feel at that point? Did you feel you were relinquishing your, your child? Well, it's quite a complicated story, really, because we had um, we'd been doing very well. The business had grown pretty well from nothing to something like five or six million pounds. And um, we made a critical error in opening a shop in Boston. We had a very good American customer who said, oh, come to Boston, I'm a property developer, I'm building this whole uh, arcade of shops and I'll do you a good deal and all this sort of stuff. And we thought, oh, well, you know, Boston, they're very British there. And so we went and we opened the shop and, of course, it was a complete disaster and cost us an absolute arm and leg, which really sort of forced the sale of um, Hackett to the Richemont Group. Um, and here we are, and here we are. Then a few, a few things later. But I, I want to come back to that and how mm. you've dealt with that particular kind of bump, as it were, because we're yeah. still here talking about a a very powerful brand, which in itself is a very good story. Stay with me for more from Jeremy Hackett, my business shaper today. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, and before that, some words of advice for your business from our program partners at Michigan Dorea. My name's Sharon Tan. I'm a partner in the employment team at Mishcon Dorea. One of the questions that I'm asked by clients most frequently is, how do I deal with somebody who is underperforming? It's a very difficult thing, actually, this, to get right, and it crops up very frequently in practice. And the reason it's difficult to get right is that it's very difficult often for people to acknowledge that they aren't performing. We all find it very, a very difficult thing to admit, even to ourselves. And, of course it's very important to make sure that you handle things in a legally compliant manner whenever you are dealing with these issues. But I think it's as important to bear in mind that you are dealing with a human being because in practical terms, what I have seen is that people are much more likely to sue, litigation is more likely to materialise and unhappiness on all fronts is likely to result if people feel that they haven't been treated fairly properly and appropriately in the circumstances. So the two really go hand in hand, and I think that is critical as a point to bear in mind whenever you are managing somebody who you don't think is coming up to scratch. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. If you've missed any of the previous programmes, then iTunes is your destination. If this summer you're travelling on British Airways, you can also catch the programme there. Or if you're at a computer, 
cityam.com is another place where you can find um, some of the fantastic people I've interviewed over the last few years. Jeremy Hackett is my business shaper today, founder and chairman of Hackett, um, now turning over, I think, around £200 million globally. That's right, you heard that correctly, £200 million. Uh, Business employs a good few hundred people. But it began in Parsons Green in London many years ago, and... um, it was uh, an exciting time then. And, and you were saying, Jeremy, as we were just before the travel, we were talking about the not-so-brilliant time in Boston and, and um, what happened after that, which is that Richemont came in and kind of, you know, kind of continued, to, took the business on, and, and then you've grown since then. How did you personally deal with that at that time, as much as one doesn't want to dwell on difficult times? I often well, find that, you know, though in there is yeah. why you are you. What happened? I mean, in some respects, it, it was a shame that we had to do it, but we were up against it, and... Uh, for, for me personally, I wanted to make sure that our creditors were paid because I worked with a lot of people who were small manufacturers and if we'd gone to the wall, they would have gone to the wall. So I felt duty-bound to pay off all our creditors and that way I could sleep at night. And so fortunately, Richemont came to the rescue and um, overall I was very relieved. And then we had the investment and the support and particularly... Um, good financial advice, which I think if we'd had in the early days, um, we didn't have a financial director. Ashley and I were both more creative than financial, and I think that was probably the mistake. Somebody to rein us in a bit when we got a bit too carried away. And over the years, that fi- now that, that management in the team is, has been there, I imagine, oh, yes. through the 90s. Oh, yes, and it's got much bigger. I mean, it's... You know, it's a corporation there. But there must have been, an in, there is an inherent tension between the creative person and the commercial person, and finding that casting, getting that casting yes, right it's is getting, critical. It's, it's a balance, really, because um, you, of it, the creative part is vital, but without the backup of the financial uh, nous, then, um, you know, it, it, it can be difficult. And as the business expanded through the 90s and then through the noughties, how... Um, how you just de- how did you decide to go one way not the other and left and not right and so on and so forth with regard to the the kind of materials that we're using and the kind of cuts or has it remained true do you think to a certain quite tight range of what Hackett clothes are um well it's it's certainly evolved over the years and as we've grown and we're now a global business uh, certain markets demand certain types of clothing and what you can sell in Germany, you may not be able to sell in Italy, or what you can sell in China, you can't sell in South America. So it's um, we have to adapt to the market, and, and we've certainly broadened our horizons from what we initially sold in the very early days was a very edited range of British clothing, which is all very nice, but not commercial on a, on a grand scale, really. And finally, the materials. I mean, I know, you know, having read about people like Stephen Marks and uh, others that, that jump on planes to India and things like that, where has where the, the Hackett um, heritage of, of material come from? Is it all British? Or is it a whole, is it Italian? I mean, is it a mixture of stuff? It, well, it, it's now a mixture. When we started, it was probably 95% made in England. Um, and unfortunately, through, through the 90s, a lot of British manufacturing disappeared. We buy an awful lot of cloth made in England. Uh, people like Fox Brothers and Robert Noble, and uh, we buy all our tweed in Scotland. Um, but some markets demand much finer quality cloths, so we buy from Italy as well. A global business um, under the bonnet of Hackett, <laughs> the British brand. Stay with me for more from uh, Jeremy, my business shaper today. Time for some music. It's a cracker. It's one I used to play myself back in university days. It's Stevie Wonder and I Wish.
You're listening to Jazz Shapers, and Jeremy Hackett is my business shaper today, founder and chairman of the, the enormous brand called Hackett. This brand that we are talking about now, when, when you started in business, and even when you were uh, you know, acquired by Richemont and so on, did you think about the notion of brand? Was brand a thing that you had in your head, or was um, it produce great product? I, I didn't initially, until we started making new clothes. And prior to working um, at, uh, well, not working at Hackett, being, starting Hackett, I had worked in Savile Row for about three years, and I worked for a very inspirational retailer called John Michael. And John Michael was one of those guys who was probably quite early in the, in recognising what a brand was all about. And he would go absolutely berserk if anything came into his shop and it didn't have his name on it, a shirt, a tie or whatever. He would go berserk. And uh, so I, I learned from that that when I started making new clothes that I was insistent that everything that came into the shop was our design and had our name on it. And I think that's how you... So you're creating a real point of view. And that, I think, is the essence of a brand, is that you have a point of view. I think it's a really interesting way of articulating it. In enforcing that point of view through the team as it's grown over mm. the years, how would your team of people describe the enforcer? Are you a gentle giant, a gentle manager? Are you a kind of a bit tougher? And, you know, do you, do you move into what the, the, the cliché of the fashion... Um, uh, dilettante would be, which is the, you know the crazy creative person. No, I, I'm. You don't I'm, strike me. I'm not that, any of those things. You don't look like that one. No, I, I I want to work with people together. Not I. I, I certainly don't. I, I encourage. I, I like to think I encourage people and bring the best out in them, and I like to put my view across and, you know, let people see what they think of it. And, uh, you know, I'm open to suggestions because you know you're not always right. And when I am most of the time. I was going to say, of course, you quick, quickly add that, Jeremy. And when are you at your happiest, do you think? Um, probably when I've made something and, well, thought about, had an idea, thought about it, taken it to the factory, it's come back and the sample looks great, and then I place the order and then it goes into the shop and it sells. And then I think, oh, God, that's fantastic. And it's not about how much money I made, just the idea that a little something I did that people really appreciate and that's it for me is you know the ultimate stay with me for my final chat with jeremy hackett plus we're going to be playing a track from sam cook lots of classics today that's after the latest traffic and travel jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mish Rea. it's business but it's personal summertime That was Sam Cooke's take on the classic, another classic, uh, with Summertime. And uh, Jeremy loved that as well. I love the choice of the music. It's absolutely brilliant. We paid him to say that. Um, <laughs> we were talking before about this this passion um, for for cloth um, and the, the five-year-old in you that then became mm. the teenager, that then became the adult and so on. I imagine you haven't stopped. Rumour has it you still are around and about in different markets finding different bits of yeah. beautiful clothing. Is that true? Well, when, whenever I've got the time, I'll go to the market. And if I ever pass a second-hand uh, charity shop, I'm in there. Just just in case. It's a thrill of the chase. You never know what you're going to find. And funnily enough, I was in Portobello Road not so long ago. 
and there was a rail of old tweed jackets and I was looking through and I, I, I spotted one that looked quite familiar. So I pulled it out and I said to the lady, um, why is this one more expensive than the others? And she looked back at me and said, it is Hackett, you know. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> now, what would you say to a young person who's thinking about setting up their own business and it might be in the fashion trade? And you said you said something earlier about, I don't know how people buy online. There's a massive online market, isn't there? I mean, I'm with oh, you, by the yeah. way. I, I, I yeah, much prefer to touch and feel yeah, and all those yeah. things. Yeah, I mean, we, we sell online and um, it, it obviously is a growing business, but for me, it's, it is about the touch. And, and also, when you're selling tailored clothing, I think men want to try it on and, and um, they're knowledgeable about fit and things. So to, to buy one through the post and get a, a rise and it doesn't fit and you've got the hassle of sending it back. And I don't know how men, I don't think, have the time for all that. But, but, and, and in terms of this young, this young 18-year-old who's coming out of college or something, or 16-year-old yeah. even, and wants to do what you did... Do you think it's as easy now? Well, not that it was easy for you, but is it, are there as few barriers to doing that as, as there were then? Well, you know, at the time, I never thought about whether it was easy or difficult. I just got on with it because it was something I knew. It was something I had a passion about. And I thought, well, maybe there's something can turn this into a business. I have to say there was no business plan, no marketing plan, and hardly any money. But I think if you've got a passion for something and you really believe in it and you get stuck into it... Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't make a success of it. The uh, early, my early advice is make sure you've got a decent financial backing. Exactly, absolutely. That this this point about the British brands and the renaissance of of, of kind of Great Britain, as it yeah. were, um, probably from the late nineties. There's more to come. Is Britain? Uh, I mean, is it? Oh, the British brand so. still great? Yes, very much so. And I think even more so. We sell through China and Japan and the Far East. They are mad about British products and in fact they know more about British products than most British people um, but they they love the heritage they love everything that goes with it the the whole sort of sense of occasion that they feel that Britain has because you know we dress for certain occasions here whether it's weddings or parties or going to the country or going racing we have this sort of wardrobe of clothes that they feel that every Brit wears, you know, it's a romantic notion, but uh, you know, everybody around the world seems to enjoy it, and more, for, more so than the British. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. And for you personally, Jeremy, you've been—it's your business. You've been in this business for uh, over three decades. Yeah. What happens next? What What's the plan for you? You don't look like someone who's uh, about to put his feet up. Um, no, not yet. I'm 63 next week. Doesn't look uh, it. <laughs> He's very elegant, this man, but I wasn't surprised. And I've, I didn't dress up for you. I'm really, no. I feel very guilty. Well, Don't. thank God we're on the radio. <laughs> but but you, obviously you're not stopping, but what, what's still driving you? Is it just because you still love the business you're in? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's one of the few things I know anything about, really. And um, we're now working on spring next year, so I'm just putting that collection together, which is a lot of fun. And, um, and then we're going to open in the States our second time. We're crossing fingers. It's yeah, going to be all right. But this time. time, you know, things have changed dramatically mm. for us all. And um, so we open in the autumn, our first shop in the States. So that's very exciting because that could be a huge market for us. Yeah. Listen, thank, thank you so much for being my, um, my guest today. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Uh, I, I've chosen uh, Moonlight Serenade by uh, Glenn Miller because uh, my, my father was a big jazz fan and... Uh, for his 90th birthday, I um, 
arranged for him to come to London and we stayed at the Savoy and the Savoy laid on a Rolls Royce for us to go to Ronnie Scott's. So I took my dad to Ronnie Scott's and Ray Galato and the Giants, I think it was called, yeah, uh, were, were playing and um, oh, my dad had an absolute ball. He absolutely thrilled. Talked about it for months. And uh, in fact, he, he barely ate his dinner because he was so excited. So Moonlight Serenade was something that he was always playing at home. So I dedicate that to him. And here it is. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you. That was Moonlight Serenade from Glenn Miller, the song choice of my business shaper today, Jeremy Hackett, someone who from an incredibly young age was absolutely in love with clothes, someone who understood what a brand was, and in his own words, and a great articulation it was too, a brand has got to have a point of view. And a gentleman, someone who obviously treats his people well, treats his team well, likes the notion of people contributing, and has continued to be a great ambassador for the Hackett brand all these years. Great stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am, for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Meantime, coming up next here on Jazz FM, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.